Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join Helper community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder that is joining us. You know, it's a founder that has been there, has done it multiple times. I think that we're going to find his journey quite inspiring. Uh, and, and again, you know, more of the stuff that we always like to hear, which is building, scaling, financing, and all of that good stuff. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Barrett Kamiski. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Alejandro. Nice to be here. So originally born in New York City. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Oh, well, that was a long time ago, right? It's 1980s, Rudy Giuliani. It was a little bit rough. It's not it's not today, you know. But uh yeah, it was it was it was a rough times back then. But you know, it was good, made me tough, made me street smart, made me get uh clear about how to get things done. No kidding. And how do you get into mathematics, you know, out of all things? Yeah, so at MIT, the the least classes you had to take to get a degree was math. So there's only eight classes required. Uh, but it turns out they're actually very hard. <laughs> so so I had to take graduate classes. So I thought it was I, I, I thought I was being clever. But, you know, it ended up being pretty hard. But, but you know, math, math is a foundation, right, for everything. And, and, and that's like, if you understand math, then you can defer your decision about what you're going to do with your career and, uh, you know, do whatever you want, right? So I guess, I guess in your case, you know, obviously, you know, you end up going to MIT, you know, incredible school. Uh, but then eventually, you know, like you decide to pack the bags, you know, and, and go overseas. So, so walk us through that uh, journey and, and how did you thought that was the right time and also the right idea, you know, to, to do? Yeah. So I went to Stanford for grad school and uh, for MBA and like 50% of Stanford alumni stay in California. And I, I said, hey, I, either I stay here or I go. And I don't want to stay here and be like everybody else, right? So then let, let's go overseas and, you know, see what happens. Yeah. So then I went to China. So 2004. So um, I, at that time, I was looking at uh, Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai, Taipei, and I decided to go to Shanghai. And, you know, I was there for five years. And 
I built a company there uh, doing technology transfer. But then after about five years, I said, hey, you know, China is is a really difficult place and it's it's really like an insider market. So if I wanna if I wanna innovate, if I wanna bring new ideas, then maybe Southeast Asia is is a better place. Yeah. And we have six hundred million people in, you know, Southeast Asia. And so I decided in oh nine to 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 leave China to to go for the other other shores. And in this case, I mean, what you were doing was saying, I believe it was like you were saying, like stuff around manufacturing lines and, and things like that. And and that ultimately, you know, was the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to really end up, you know, in the track of, of what it was and what it is, E-Ink. So how was, you know, how did the sequence of events, you know, happen there for you in order to be able to bring, you know, to life such an incredible uh, rocket ship? Yeah. Yeah. We had a big idea. And, you know, the the idea was, hey, how do we make electronic paper? How do we make a piece of paper that can, you know, be be like an electronic book? And, um, yeah, I mean, myself and, of course, you know, hundreds of people um, and, you know, made that happen. And, yeah, that, that it, it, it's 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 an amazing story. And, you know, there, there's no substitute for like the fact that a lot of people work very, very hard for, you know, many for 20 years. I mean, I just I just keynoted, yes, uh, two weeks ago at the Ying uh, leadership conference. And I, I'm dealing with people who worked there for 25 years. Right. This, I started this company 26 years ago and it's an eight billion market cap today. And we have another 25 years to go ahead of us. So it's, this is like a 50 year durable company. And you know, it's, it's amazing, but, but yeah, it's, it, a lot of people worked very, very hard to, to get us where we are. And obviously, you know, it's easy now to say 8 billion market cap, but, you know, I'm sure that there was a lot of sweat and tears, you know, that went into it. So I guess for the people that are listening, you know, to really get it, what ended up being the business model of the, of the company? Yeah. So, I mean, we, 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 we went back and forth. What do we want to do? Do we want to be a component supplier? Do we want to be a, a module, a display supplier? And where we kind of stabilized was, hey, let us be like a key component supplier and we'll, we'll sell the film to the uh, downstream integrators. And I think that was that was a good strategic decision that we made. Um, and so, yeah, now we we have, you know, about 500 people in in Boston, another two or three thousand here in Taiwan and, and, and in China. And, you know, we are the key supplier to uh, the paper-like display business all over the world for e-readers, for electronic shelf labels, and now for full-color electronic outdoor displays. And you were talking that you've been at it, you know, this company has been up and running for over 20 years. So what has been, you know, that, that journey like? I mean, at what point did you really find that you were turning a corner because incredible amount of risk that you were taking, you know, leaving the U.S., being in a different country, starting something from nothing. I mean, I'm sure that was like incredibly challenging. At what point did you really feel that you were into something? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a tough question, right? I mean, I think um, we all go through these, these, these moments and, you know, 
sometimes you feel you're 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 lost and you're wrong, and sometimes you feel you're right, right? So, you know, here we are today, and all I can say is we're only here because we persevered <laughs> to to make it through. Yeah. So, so with Ian, I mean, what was that journey to of um, capitalizing the business? We raised about 150 million, uh, and then and then we exited to a Taiwanese company, our downstream supplier, for about 400 million, and that quickly popped to about one and a half billion. Um, so we left some money on the table for sure, and there's some lessons learned there. Um, but but yeah, it's you know, I mean, I think to 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 truly commercialize. Deep new technology takes like fifty, hundred, hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, in reality. So what yeah. were what 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 were some of those lessons that thing that you learned on that transaction? I'm sure that I was saying like eye opener too, because that was the one of the first times you know that you were encountering something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think I think there's a really interesting intersection between finance people and technology people and and there's a pretty big gap and so you know what i'm you know and 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 now here having that that's like 30 years ago right so now i'm trying to close that gap a little bit and make sure that the you know the technology guys don't get screwed <laughs> by the finance guys <laughs> <laughs> and you know everybody everybody can win because i'm I'm a win-win guy like i believe one plus one equals three you know and so I, i'm not really a favor in favor of of screwing the technology people and i think that's that's kind of what happened back then 30 years ago yeah but but now i'm working to make sure that doesn't happen so how do you how do you for example i mean i'm sure that this was quite eye-opener on on doing this transaction and and being able to achieve like one plus one equals three, you know, when you're doing a deal like that, how do you do that? Because typically, you know, when you go through a transaction like this, you always have the negotiation where there's one party that wins, the other one loses, and it's like, you know, that the give and take, you know, type of uh, situation. So how how do you arrive to that point where everybody wins? How does that look? What does that look like? And what's that process like? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm almost fifty. Right. And so at this stage in my life, I'm only doing business with people that I actually like. And in my experience, if if we are actually doing business with people that we like and we trust, then, you know, it's fine. You know, and so I think the. You know, the transactional model doesn't really work that much for me, uh, you know, but having been over here in Asia for, you know, 20 years now, like when we're working with people that we like and we trust and we can have a good communication with, you know, then, you know, we, we can figure out how to make everybody, everybody get out ahead and, and that's fine. So, uh, so obviously, you know, you were talking about doing the transaction and, and, and this other company, you know, like did did basically like a post, you know, post-transaction, you know, phase and era uh, for this. What happened after the transaction? Uh, so, you know, the, I mean, the good news is, is the Taiwanese did a great job of, uh, uh, at Yank of, of industrializing. 
And so, you know, e Inc. went from one and a half billion, you know, in 2009 to uh, eight billion today and, you know, a, a bright future ahead of them. You know, and so, and then, so that's on the e Inc. side. I think for me, you know, my lessons learned are, um, yeah, I, I want to help young technology companies, founders who have some great ideas and IP, but don't necessarily have the capital, have, have the resources to scale distribution, product, you know, et cetera. So, so that's, you know, that's kind of my lesson is, hey, I want to help people that are like 20 years younger than me, you know, be, be successful. But Ian itself is, is, is doing very, very well right now. And what is it like doing business in the U.S. versus doing business, you know, in Taiwan, for example? Yeah, that's a good question. Over here, we have really, really strong technology, but we're not that commercial. Uh, and, you know, and, and in the U.S., I think it's very, very commercial. Um, but, you know, maybe the technology is a little bit weak. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do is, is find, find a way to bridge those two positions. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process, and it's very hard and already doing your business alone. It's super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So, Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So tell us about Migo, because Migo, you know, is, you know, what uh, you are definitely pushing, you know, more actively nowadays. So tell us about Migo. You know, what is uh, Migo about and at what point does the idea of Migo come knocking? Yeah, so the, so, so the idea of Migo is that, um, you know, the, the devices are getting powerful. Like people have $100 Android smartphones, right? Um, and they have huge demand for media. But the networks are the bottleneck. And so, you know, if you have a, a GDP per capita of only two or $3,000, a cellular ARPU of only, you know, three, four, five dollars, the CapEx is limited. And so the capacity is limited. And so how do we build a like 7-Eleven-like experience where, you know, we have a, a digital pickup point 
um, near your house overlay onto um, the existing retail infrastructure and and allow you to pick up five gigs, 10 gigs a day for free. So that's, so that's the big idea of Migo. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense, like for our customers in Indonesia, in the Philippines, and in, in, in other similar markets. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. In terms of making sense, you know, from a monetary perspective, how are you guys, you know, making money and, 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 and you know, turning a profit on this? Yeah, so the basic idea is kind of similar to like Netflix. You know, if Netflix in the U.S. is 10 bucks, um, but that's overlaid on your like 50 or $100, you know, wireline internet connection. If, if, if you don't have a home internet connection and you're in, in Indonesia and you can pay, like two or three dollars a month for unlimited access to you know, video, then that's the business model. So it's consumer paid. What has been as well the um, the experience too of of raising money for the for the company? Because up until now, how much money have you guys raised to date? We've raised about eighty million bucks, and it's been quite challenging. You know, it's it's I think. Innovating for emerging markets is is very difficult. Uh, yeah, very difficult. Yeah. So what's what's how do you go about you know getting people excited and and getting people to be a little bit more at peace with with making the investment because obviously you know not only you have the risk of uh, investing in a in a new company but then also the fact that you're dealing with the uncertainty of that specific region, as you were alluding to. So how do you go about doing that to really, you know, address whatever concerns, you know, that are in between you and the money? I mean, it, it's been incredibly challenging, honestly, incredibly challenging. And, and, and actually, right now, I'm reimagining the strategy, actually, um, to, to look at more uh, of the development banks, you know, because th there are our you know, there is development capital that wants to help bring data. So, you know, when we say, hey, we want to like sell data just like Coca-Cola to these people in emerging markets, and there's a lot of them, you know, I mean, it, it's it's just been incredibly challenging. And, and you know, I've, I've done it to a certain level. Um, but but yeah, right now I'm I'm rotating to say, hey, there are development banks that are interested in getting gigs to these people for entertainment, for education, et cetera. And they have, you know, they have a large budget. So I'm going to rotate for there uh, for about 12 months and, and, you know, see what happens. Because, yeah, on the, on the sort of private capital market side, it's, it's very challenging. I hear you. I hear. You. So when, when we're talking about people here, you know, how have you gone about to, you know, bringing the right people for this business? Because, I mean, you had a bunch of employees, you know, the last company. So what did you learn about people and, and how did you go about building the team here, you know, with Migo? You know, we're, we're trying to innovate for emerging markets, right? So, so I want to bring the best talent from, you know, from Taiwan, from the U.S., from et cetera. But, but how but have them actually be on the ground in the Philippines, in Indonesia. And so what we did was we recruited people and then we, we sent them to the market, you know? And so, so like in their first week, we would send them to the Philippines. Yeah. And then they would go there for like one week every month or two. So they're on ground 
in the market, understanding the consumer, you know, pain points, issues, et cetera, while being here in, in Taiwan. That's amazing. And now in terms of vision, because, you know, when you onboard investors or when you onboard employees, you know, I find that vision, you know, is everything, not only for bringing them on board, but then also to keep them engaged, you know, on that future that you're living into, no? So if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Migo is fully realized, what does that world look like? Yeah, so for, for Migo, then the vision would be we have ubiquitous access and coverage and we're in you know one out of every 10 um former stores in in the philippines indonesia india and consumers can go pick up five ten gigs a day you know in like a few minutes for free um in the in the store that they already go to now now in this case, for example, too, how do you go about bringing that vision and making it part of the culture so that, you know, people really understand what's going on and so that you guys are rowing all at the same time in the same direction? Well, we're still figuring that out, you know. But one idea is we we partner with the FMCG, so like with Coca-Cola or, you know, somebody, Nestle, who has a great, you know, reach and brand, uh, and we can do a co-marketing and co-distribution with their existing footprint. And when when it comes to um, to, for example, like developing those partnerships, I guess uh, you know there's a lot of people that are probably listening now that are wondering how to go about building those to really increase distribution, to ramp up, you know, whatever they're doing now. What are the three key lessons you know that you've learned along the way about building you know some of those meaningful partnerships? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, people are people, right? So, so if we can help give then, you know, our, our partners a good digital touch point, like, and what, what, what's the problem they're trying to solve, you know? So, so for example, um, Coca Cola, you know, in our markets, you know, they don't have any digital access. So if we can give healthcare or education, and we can give personalized promotions to you know customers that they're otherwise unable to reach digitally. Then you know we can bring something very very meaningful to the table, right? And so we say, hey, you guys are here. You have distribution, but you don't know what happens, you know, past wholesale. We can close the, the loop, and we can have people scan the, your your QR code, and we can do a personalized promotion, and we can do a video at you know, so so how do we like what does coke want right and and how do we how can we help them do something amazing that they couldn't do otherwise now we were talking about the future here too and i want to talk about the past but doing so with a lens of reflection so barrett if i was to bring you back in time and i brought you back in time you know maybe to stanford you know, to that moment where you were there hanging out, you know, with, with friends, you know, some of them that went out and, you know, built other really, you know, incredible companies. And you were able to have a sit down, you know, with that younger self that was attending, you know, one of those lectures. You had the opportunity there of telling that younger Barrett one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? That is a great question. So I really appreciate you asking. You know, for the last 10 years, 
I viewed myself as, you know, kind of pushing against the, you know, like pushing the rock up the hill, basically. But I think what I've learned now is it's much more effective to dance with the universe. And so take the energy of the universe and, you know, run with it over here. And so I think that that was a mistake that I made over over the last decade is I was fighting too hard against the energy of, you know, how things should be. Whereas now I can say, hey, how do we take the energy and, and run with it and take it in a positive direction? Yeah. So don't don't be too stubborn. Don't fight. You know, that's not the point. The point is not to like fight against the, the big guys the point is to capture and harness the energy of the universe and run with that in a positive way and i'm sure that that was also um a mental exercise you know for you on a journey because when you are you know swimming against the current or you know pushing a rock up the hill you know it's a it's 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 a roller coaster of emotions that you have to go through you know as well as an entrepreneur because you know there's a lot of those days that are really gray uh and not and not fun um so i guess what did you learn about yourself you know during those tough moments and who did you need it to be in order to be effective with whatever you had in front of you yeah i mean i think humility you know like we we need to learn how to get past the ego and you know, be a beautiful person with people around you and the team that you're leading. And yeah, I think you know the the, the ego is is the you know is the problem for a lot of us entrepreneurs. You know, we get too caught up in that. So I think if you can just throw that away, a hundred percent, and and yeah, just be grateful. I think you know gratitude and you know, being thankful for all the people that have helped us get where we are because we forget about them, right? You know, but a lot of people have have helped us get where we are today, you know? And so being grateful for, for them uh, and and humble and, yeah, just having fun. I love that. Well, look, I think that having fun is a critical piece because people focus too much on the finish line versus on the journey. So uh, I'm right there with you. And I and I think that when you are thankful, it just opens up as a space where you can really get re-energized to keep going. So uh, Barrett, for the people that are listening that would love to uh, reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, just shoot me an email, barrett at and.or.art. Easy enough. Well, Barrett, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.